All right, everyone. Welcome back to Tundra Talk. I'm your host, Tyler Friel, and we're sitting here in the uh, in the Island Air Hangar at Kodiak. We, uh, John and I, just got back from from our goat hunt, and we flew with these guys. and uh, And sitting with me, I have Eric Howard and Taj Shoemaker. And I don't know if I've figured out what what are your guys' official titles now. <laughs> well, our official uh, FA appointed titles is Taj's chief pilot. I'm the director of operations, and uh, us, along with a couple other guys, are owners of the company. Yeah, cool. I uh, like I met Taj. I met you first, Taj. I think I met you the very first trip I was ever down here on Kodiak when we went out to the lodge that trip out of Seal Bay. Yep, and uh, and then I know Eric's flown me out there a bunch of times over the years. Yeah, you and your dad. Yeah, uh, multiple times, mostly for deer hunts, I think. And yeah. But yeah, I was glad glad we were able to make this happen. Um, these guys are both super super experienced pilots, and uh, which is kind of a totally different realm of flying, especially here in Kodiak. And uh, yeah, you know, maybe start with you, Eric, if you just want to give us some background, like where'd you came from, what got you into flying, and up here. Uh, I first moved up here in two thousand nine, and uh, flying is what brought me up here. Um, I was working as a flight instructor down in uh, Washington State in the Ellensburg, Washington, at a, the college down there, and um, kind of just always had read too many books about flying Alaska, you know, old books from the 40s and 50s, and uh, so always had the itch, and then one day, uh, just, you know, cruising the internet and saw a job posting for Island Air Service in Kodiak, Alaska, and sent in a resume, and the next day the old uh chief pilot who his name was mike gerber uh, who ended up kind of being like my mentor as a pilot later on called me up and a couple weeks later i was driving up the alcan nice what about you taj and i think i was eric's first ride here in kodiak we were, oh yeah you know, I, was, I was flying here already but i got here through kind of a circuitous route i grew up not far from kodiak on the alaska peninsula um, at a hunting camp, and I never really intended to be a commercial pilot. I just fell into it because it was a. Uh, I always flew from when I was a kid, and uh, turned out there was only a couple things I was good at. So, <laughs> well, because your dad's a pretty well-known guide on the peninsula. Yep, he's been doing it for oh, thirty-five years over there. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, I ended up uh, over here on a short-term job and ended up sticking nice more or less a funny little uh side story on that so when we hire a new pilot we put them through a little series of tests to make sure they can actually fly and when i showed up my first flight ever was with taj and i was just riding along as a passenger just kind of seeing the sights and taj basically told me what i was going to get tested on to make sure i'd pass the test so he (laughs) kind of helped me cheat a little bit nice what uh i don't know for like both you guys what was the was it a pretty challenging learning curve flying down here on the island? I mean, obviously, weather anywhere in Alaska is one of the biggest factors, but it's, Kodiak's notorious for having bad weather. It was probably easier for Taj than me. You know, I came from a very structured flying environment in the lower 48 where everything was by the book. If the weather was marginal at all, you don't fly. Um, so I had a steep learning curve, but I had uh, a couple good pilots that really kind of took me under their wing and taught me the right way to do it from the get-go yeah everywhere's got its own challenges kodiak's just like that um people think of it as intimidating down here and it is it's very in your face but it's there's 
you learn the conditions, you learn how to fly this country, you learn the weather, it's just like anywhere else, just different. Um, so it's not, it's not any more or less challenging than other places. It's just looks like it on the outside, I guess. You yeah. Know, we've got lots of mountains and water and storms and, but you, you learn how to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably more intimidating, not knowing than actually just learning how to deal with all of it. Huh? Yeah. Yep. We, uh, we train our pilots to, for these conditions and, you know, it's, it's very intimidating for them at first, but they, they learn that you can deal with it and they just have to learn the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, it seems like me not ever having really, I mean, I've ridden a lot, never flown. I don't have my license or anything, but it seems like wherever you're at, it's just knowing your boundaries and sticking to them. It seems like most of the, most of the wrecks you hear about or when the limit's really getting pushed or doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing from what I hear anyway. I don't know. It's all, every situation's different, I'm sure. Yeah, there's certainly most, you're right. Most majority of wrecks, you can always pick apart and and you can see where there was mistakes made. On the other hand, flying like everything else, it's a human element is going to get you in trouble. We're all human. Um, we can't take that element out of it. Um, so yeah, there, there's always going to be mistakes made, and you know things happen when you defy gravity. Yeah, it is you know it, there is some risk inherent by nature, but otherwise you could sit at home and die of boredom and obesity on your couch if you didn't <laughs> want to go take risks. Yeah, that's very true. It's always like I don't know, blowing my mind flying. Like when you think about how little's really separating you from piling into the water, or <laughs> into the side of a mountain, but you know the stuff's reliable and. Obviously, operating an air service, you've got to, you know, everything stays up on, you know, you guys have super rigid maintenance schedules and stuff like that, I'm sure. So, it's usually not the plane. Yeah, they say the uh, the weakest part of the aircraft is the screw sitting between the seat and the yoke. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I always tell the new guys, it's, you know, decision making is the number one thing here. You know, it's it's not necessarily, you know, how good of a natural touch do you have on the airplane or anything like that it's your decision making and then uh you know on a per flight basis we probably make a lot more decisions than you might have to make if you're flying somewhere else you know yeah should i go this way or that way or is it time to turn around now or what direction am i going to land all that sort of stuff yeah and uh to get into i mean island air in general you guys do a whole bunch of stuff and i mean the there's a there's a few other services on the island but you guys you know if you're coming into kodiak and going out on a trip there's a good chance you're flying with with these guys or one of the others and that's uh you guys handle pretty much everything from hunters fishermen flying out to lodges bear viewing stuff like that yeah we're the regional um airline basically Mm -hmm. so we do all the scheduled flights around the island all the mail um we do the major the bulk of the moving between the villages but we're also not to thump our chests a little bit here, but it, we are the longest running airline in Kodiak. And as such, we've kind of developed um, a diverse fleet and a diverse group of pilots. So we're, we've got the ability to do everything from, you know, skis on in a super cub to a beaver on floats to, you know, flying the 
caravan between our villages and uh, we also fly over to the Alaska Peninsula and um, up to Anchorage and do quite a bit of we're very diverse in what we do um, yeah and you got I mean yeah like you said the whole range of planes from the the passenger planes the float planes and and you, you know just the videos you guys are putting up this what you were saying this was the first first year you guys have messed around on skis on the cub down here yeah yep i've got a lot of uh a lot of time up in the arctic on skis but uh kodiak's different because we can't run skis down here in the you know at sea level it's usually usually there's not enough snow but there's a whole lot of interior that's all snowy that kind of open up a whole new world there yeah that. where are you taking off from on skis on one of these lakes or uh from just from the main runway here oh on, gotcha you got wheel, wheel skis oh, yeah. I see. and then and then go up to frozen lakes or ridges and yeah that's there. pretty cool yeah it's a big i don't know not for as small of an island it is there's so much cool country on it there is it's it's pretty small relatively by alaska standards it's big by anybody else's standards but by alaska standards it's small um, mileage wise but there's a whole lot of country packed into a small area lots of fjords and lots of mountains and lots of critters and just a whole whole lot of things going on here and a lot of diversity in the topography and what there is you know oh, that's, yeah. that's what i like about the island is you know on the north end you got old growth spruce trees on the southern end you almost got more of a tundra like environment rolling green hills in the middle of the island you got these big granite peaks with glaciers so just shooting right out of the water up to however high they go you know i mean what's the tall is, is there some three thousand down here uh four thousand four hundred and seventy that's uh cognac peak yeah that's the, the tallest on the island which isn't that tall but it goes straight up from sea level yeah so it sure looks like it oh yeah and uh we were talking a little bit um you know both john and i when we were out there and with you guys a little bit because it's a certain funny feeling if you've ever been dropped off you know flown anywhere and dropped off to hunt or fish or whatever it's a kind of a lonely feeling when the plane turns and leaves and everybody reacts to it differently and i mean you guys get a whole range a lot of people from the lower 48 coming out getting flown out dropped off deer hunting and whatnot um i guess deer hunting would probably be the only one or fishing where they're staying on their own but uh well we do yeah there's actually there's a lot of there's there's people we've dropped people out just to bear view yeah um long-term bear viewing there there's fishing like you said we've got elk deer um caribou on the island that that's true yeah so they'll come hunt um but and then alaska residents can hunt bears and and mountain goats as well here um but yeah no we drop a lot of people out there and everybody reacts a little differently to it everybody has a different uh, experience level and anticipation of what they're doing but the great leveler these days is sat phones and alarms. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a big deal. I mean, it's I don't I almost see it as like with the stuff's available, the stuff that's available now, it's almost irresponsible not to take something like that. It is for yeah, really for everybody else. It might be might be feel good to you to be out there out of communication, but uh, if you've got family or anybody else worrying about you, um, it takes a rare person to be able to just disappear without any yeah communication it could still be done in the 21st century but uh yeah well it's i mean a lot less common. and even with that delorme like us you know and it wouldn't have been the end of the world by any means just the, the weather the wind right now we were supposed to get pulled out today but being able to communicate and like see what the weather is going to do you can 
and when you're in the field, you can plan your, your trip a little bit better and, you know, maybe not spend an extra six days out there if you don't have to stuck in the tent. But, uh, yeah, I guess where I, where I was wanting to go with that was, uh, what are either, either like the shortest or most unique, um, a times have you ever had anyone freak out immediately or like the next day, like getting dropped off the plane and no, I don't want to do this and get back on and come back or, um, and we'll jump into the next one after you answer this one. You think anything, Eric? I, I can't think of anybody in there. I've had it a number of times where people, they'll come up with an excuse to get out of the field. You know, I'm sure a couple of times it's been um, legitimate, but I know a couple of times I've had the sense that, oh, you know, there's a family emergency or there's a work emergency, and that was more of an excuse to get out of the field after they realized it wasn't for them, you know, what yeah. they're doing. You know, but kind of on the same topic, an interesting thing is that um, I would say 90% of our hunters get pulled out earlier than the date they set. You know, when a hunter goes out in the field, we always pick a hard date so that if we never hear from him, all right, weather allowing, this is when we're going to come pick you up. Yeah. But I would say, I don't know, what do you think, Taj? Probably 90% of the people call us early to get picked up once they've either, A, had too much, or B, they've successfully got the animals that they want and yeah. just ready to be done. Yeah, it, everybody can, almost everybody can spend a certain amount of time, you know, out in the woods, but it's mindset's a big part of it so if you've got if you're going out for two days well the third day you're gonna be ready to come home yeah and if you're going out for two weeks the third day you're fine but but you know 15 days you're ready to come home yeah so, absolutely but uh, <laughs> to, to answer your question I, I can't think of anybody that i've had immediately call up and say hey this isn't for me i've had guys like eric said you know a few days later say hey uh you know i got i got something else going on come come get me but I have had people go out to remote villages and get on the very next flight and even once get back on the same plane and say, oh, this isn't what I thought. And I think that's because it's a different mindset. You know, they're not thinking they're going to the woods. They're thinking they're going to a, a town or a, vi- yeah. or a city and they end up at a village, which isn't, uh, isn't what they expect. Yeah. It's, it's pretty remote. And not a lot of amenities here in a lot of the remote villages. So I've seen a few few people get off in the villages and go oh well i'll go back (laughs) yeah yeah and then i guess the other one uh because the other part i don't know i come to understand it like when i was talking to you oh we'll come down but book for whenever weather depending because that's such a huge factor um you you guys have any good stories about people stuck out there that you couldn't come get i think the best one would be eric (laughs) (laughs) yeah i spent two nights sleeping in the back of a super cub once when uh, the fog rolled in on me and i was in a, a hot, i just dropped off uh, i'll tell you the full story i'd there's three people to move up to a lake a uh, guide client and the packer i dropped the guide off first then i dropped the client off and each time the fog's just kind of slowly moving up this valley towards the lake it was a pretty pretty small lake pretty high it sits around the edge of a glacier called Gladoff lake and drop the packer off third and you know the hairs are always stamping your neck all right this fog's getting close so i drop him off tell him all right as soon as i land get out as quick as you can i need to get out of here take off and all i had time to do is just make a tight circle and then re-land before the fog moved in you know oh man it was only midday at that point so i figured uh all right well i'll just hang out and fog will hopefully move through and i'll take back off and then that night it uh started snowing we got about four to six inches of snow and then the next night it blew about 70 to 80 knots while i was up there and tipped the cub on its wing and did some damage to the airplane and 
um, kind of what Taj was talking about earlier about being responsible to the other people. I was pretty comfortable and not necessarily comfortable, but I was mentally okay and fine with my situation. But the people back in town, of course, are, yeah. are more worried than I was. But um, I was mostly worried that the airplane was going to get flipped over upside down the lake with Eric in it. Yeah. You know, you know you're sleeping in there, but he had it tied down good to whatever little rocks and stuff he could pile up there. Yeah, fill the floats with water as much as you can, and you just hunker down, you know. But but again, it comes down to, to mindset, you know. He had the, the mindset to be calm and not be freaked out for being stuck uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, and you get through it. And a couple of days later, well, it is what it is. So back to your original question, I have had a number of groups out. I think a week is the max, although I know of other folks that have been stuck out for 10 days in the old days before satellite phones, mm-hmm. which was a lot more worrisome. But I have had somebody stuck out for a week, I think, was the, was the most I've ever had due to weather. And um, it just totally depends on the person. Some people get pretty anxious, but there's nothing you can do. No matter – it doesn't matter who it is, you know, they're – there's just uh, nothing you can do sometimes due to the weather. It's always the, always has the last word. Yeah, I mean, I remember some, a few occasions being out in Seal Bay out at the lodge and hunters that were, you know, worried about missing their flights. And it's like, sorry, like they, they aren't coming today. And they'd be, oh, just because those guys don't feel like flying today or whatever. It's like, no, it's because they don't feel like being piled up on Tonky Cape out there <laughs> or whatever. And yeah, we brief everyone when they're going into the field, especially if we're putting them in like a high goat lake or somewhere that's, you know, more weather specific that, you know, plan on a couple days on either side of your hunt. And you might be, might be stuck, but you know, the human mind naturally thinks, so oh, I'll be fine. That's, you know, it doesn't happen to me, but they just think it's more of a generic speech we give that it's yeah. not actually going to happen. But, um, especially for goat hunters or late season hunters or people going into, um, um, you know, small, higher altitude spots. It's a uh, pretty common. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff, I imagine if the wind's blowing the wrong way, you know, you only have so many approaches on some of those spots. Yeah. The, the high lakes, and ridges, those are the hardest ones for the most part for getting in and out of just because it's windier up higher. The clouds are always lower up higher because you're closer to the clouds. So it's those are the most critical ones. And there's even a few spots we'll drop people and say, you know, if the weather is good, we'll come back and get you. But if not, you might be hiking out to a lower, better spot. And sometimes yeah. that's four to five miles over some pretty rough country that they have to get themselves out to to a better pickup spot. Yep. And we're selective on who will drop into those type of spots. Usually people like you who have hunted with us before, who we know have outdoor experience, we'd be more willing to drop into a spot like that. Yeah. Cause it, uh, I don't know, just as far as the, the angle from the guy being out in the field, like there's so many little things that can, if you're not smart about it, you know, little mistakes can turn into big problems pretty quick. So I don't know. I'm to the point now where it's just like, yeah, well, if, if it works out then, but kind of, it's always like a loose, <laughs> loose date, like you plan on dates, but weather depending, whether you got to try to beat a storm out or, or just plan on staying a couple extra days. Um, yep, that's a good attitude to have. And with the, with the alarms and sat phones, it makes it a lot easier now to keep in touch and know that somebody's coming to get you. It's just, just weather, you know? Yeah. Have you ever, because it made me think of this, because I was feeding you guys what the weather was doing down there the other day when you came in, and it was... 
Yeah, it's fairly socked in in the morning. Have you ever had guys like give you a totally bogus weather report? Like, oh, it's <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. You can make it in no problem and get down there. And obviously, like oftentimes, I imagine stuff can change or there's weather between you. I mean, even out at the out at the lodge out there, I know sometimes it can be totally socked in out there all day and be sunny like it is now here in town. I can't tell you how many times I've landed and people say, oh, the wind just came up or, oh, the visibility just came down. And I did <laughs> but it tell, really does change I did that. Tell, I did tell Lauren that when he landed, <laughs> I was like, sorry, man, the wind like just came up probably after you took off. And it did. John, John's not on the mic, but he, <laughs> it did. It wasn't bad, but. Yep, it does do that. And then there's also, you know, it can be bad in between. It could be, it could be nice down where somebody's at and bad in town. But we also... We do get lied to a lot about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> weather cams have really helped. You know, the, oh, the FA has put up uh, weather cams, and there's some uh, some public ones, or sorry, the private ones around the island that you can log into, and uh, those have made a big difference. And but again, too, we we do a lot of flights where we try to go and maybe make it halfway, or sometimes we make it all the way there but can't land because of wind or something other conditions. Yeah. So that's pretty routine for us to give it a shot, but but have to turn around. Yeah, and it's I don't know it's. Yeah, just be honest about what the weather's doing if you're out in that situation because, I mean, you guys got to burn a bunch of extra gas. and you If know, you but, lie to us once and we try and we can't make it because of that, then we usually wait for really good weather yeah. before, before <laughs> we go back. So we just ask people to be honest. and Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you just got to realize that we're not going to push it beyond our comfort level, beyond what's safe, yeah. you know, what we can do to get the job done. So if we do give it a try – you know whether we do or not we're not going to go if the weather's bad so you know even if you tell us it's beautiful get down there and it's not i'm just not going to land not going to be able to do it you know yeah just waste everybody's time oh yeah totally um what are each of your favorite like type of trips to do or drop i mean granted most of the time you're probably it's bear viewings the only ones where you're really getting out with the clients or whatever most of the time you're just drop off and get back in the air huh yeah that's one of the bummers about the job is we actually don't get to spend enough time on the ground hiking and we're flying over the wilderness but we're not in the wilderness if that makes sense yeah. you know that's one thing i do like about the bear views is actually you know like they say smelling the flowers you know getting out hiking down the trail and and seeing it firsthand but um, my favorite trips are the ones where somebody else dropped me off yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i do guide as well so i do quite a bit of that um and then, you know, a lot of times we'll get, well, not a lot of times, occasionally we'll get a day off or um, and go, you know, take your wives or girlfriends out or um, sometimes you'll be coming back, you'll have, finish your day up halfway through when you're just dropped a group off and no reason to go home early. You might go fishing or, or hang out or, you know, here in Kodiak where we can same day hunt deer the same day airborne you know sometimes i'll spend the rest of the day go deer hunting or kicking yeah. around in the mountains yeah that's cool um what the heck else was i gonna ask you i just had it too losing my mind uh, i can always cut out the awkward silence if i have <laughs> to but but i prefer not that's to i had one right there too um but yeah as far as the most fun flying goes uh a lot of times Taj and I, a couple times a year as we'll, especially for our off airport stuff and our goat lakes and stuff is we'll, we'll take a plane together. We did it just the other day with yeah. the cub on wheels and 
we'll go fly together, whether he's flying or Miranda, or sometimes we'll switch off half between. We'll, we'll go look for new spots to land. That's a lot of fun is trying to find new spots. Oh, that gravel bar looks like I could land it, or hey, that ridge looks landable. Um, that's some of my funnest flights is flying with Taz, trying to find new spots, and then helping each other sharpen up our skills. Yeah. Well, and you guys were well. You guys were up there skiing the other day, weren't you? When you had the cub up there on skis. Yeah, yeah. We'd go go try it out. I'd like to see if it if there's some good skiing country around here. It sure looks like there is. So yeah, who like was it? Was that around. you skiing, Eric? That was another one of our pilots, uh, uh, Chris, um, Chris Peterson. He uh, he helps us out spring and fall. Real good float plane pilot, and then he flies for a Talkeetan Air Taxi oh, uh, in gotcha. the summertime, flying a turbine otter, landing up on uh, Denali. But I, uh, Taj and I took the plane up first and went and played around, found some cool spots, and then Taj took Chris up later on and dropped him off. We always look for uh, business ideas that allow me and Taj to do fun flying. Oh, yeah, So, naturally. for example, we were thinking, all right, well, if we can find some cool spots to drop off skiers, well, we can make a little bit of money off by offering that as a service, but then me and Taj get to have some fun by flying a plane on skis in, in Kodiak, you know? Oh, yeah, totally, because I don't think there's anybody else doing that at all down here, is there? No, there's nobody else with a cub that's operating at all down here. Um, I, I don't think that's going to change because it's not a big money maker. Yeah, <laughs> but it's fun. You know, it's a way of life. We don't. If we were wanted to be rich, we'd be doctors or bankers or something yeah. else. But you know, <laughs> we do this because we like doing it, um, and that's why we keep operating the cub, and we still do the um, off airport flying that nobody else does around here, um, and keeps it keeps it fun keeps it interesting speaking of we've got to go do go find some new goat spots on wheels yeah that's i was kind of wanting to get into that because you were telling me and you can expound on it a little more john and i were talking basically just relaying some of the general ideas we had heard talking about how that just they have not been able to with the goat quotas been able to even meet the quotas they want and are you know, trying to figure out ways to open up, whether it's more opportunity or just get more goats killed to, to keep them under control. Yeah, it was five or six years ago that they opened up the south end of the island to um, a goat registration hunt. And unlike most places, they open up to two goats a year, and the season runs eight months out of the year. So it's a pretty wide open season as far as yeah. as far as goat hunting goes. Most places, including the other half of Kodiak, are, are draw. Mm-hmm. for goats and so it's kind of unprecedented and they expected it to only last a couple of years because they wanted to what their objective was was to lower the population to a sustainable level the goats were introduced in kodiak in the i believe it was the 50s yeah um 56 sticks in my mind anyways they uh they've only now reached the end of their range in the south end of the island and they're continuing to expand and they're worried that the at some point they're going to overeat their winter range and then they'll have a large die off. Instead of seeing that, they'd rather see people get a more of a hunting opportunity. So they open it up. But since then they've, since they open it up, they've never met their management objectives of killing as many goats as they'd like to, to keep the population in check. They do goats here. Just, they really thrive on Kodiak. Oh yeah. And I mean, I was telling John in this, this last podcast we did, seeing like 80% recruitment of, of kids that had already made had made it through their first year. It's just insane that they, you know, they're only having, you know, usually one kid, but still when you're getting, you know, 
I wouldn't say double in the pop, but you're getting significant population growth every year. Like it's got to give at some point, you would think. Yeah, and you know we don't know because Kodiak didn't never traditionally had goats. It was they were introduced by by man, so um, it's phenomenal goat habitat. There's no natural predators besides a few golden eagles and um, the bears that opportunistically will take one or two, but they don't focus on goats. So there's not wolves like there are in southeast Alaska or Canada. Um, so the goats have just done really well here, but we have no idea what their carrying capacity is or when when we'll see that change. You know, you hate to see a hoof and mouth disease or something come through and wipe them all out. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, to me it seems like perfect habitat for them. You know, they don't mind the moisture or the weather. They're super tough and just plow right through the snow. And uh, But, yeah, so you guys are looking at, looking at options for putting people in on wheels maybe in the cub and just other things to uh other things to just open up options because it's and it's tough you know i think like you guys are saying i imagine most guys don't kill two goats like we didn't kill both our goats this time and if everything lined up right it would have been easy you know but and even though we could have shot for like just all the things didn't line up right for us to get them back to camp and not have a bunch of smashed hamburger at the bottom of a cliff so it's i could see it as being a challenge to figure out a way to let you know get more guys to shoot two and just open up other opportunities in general yeah one thing i've been always trying to talk people into is doing the combo hunts too you know if you're in a resident you know don't have to do just a one species hunt when you come to kodiak that's one thing that's pretty cool about here is you know come down and do a, a deer and goat combo hunt you know yeah um, and that sometimes a lot of people come down and say oh i want to go deer hunting i say oh where do you want to go they go oh how about this area and I go, you know there's goats in that area too and you can just get the goat tag and then even if might as well get the tag and if you see one not too far out and accessible go after it oh that's a good idea you know yeah you know, there's even one one spot i don't know anybody that's done it yet but they're possible it's theoretically possible here to have the kodiak mcnab be a, a goat a deer and a caribou in the same day yeah <laughs> and a bear if you drew the bear tag and for the bear. same area you could really go uh <laughs> yeah yeah that would be that would be quite a feat like you said everything lining up right but it's definitely possible but i have seen people get uh, all three species and and hunt bears out of the same camp and you know same same location no that's cool and uh yeah, it's it's funny, and I've always like I don't know every I've never like felt unsafe flying with you guys. Kind of ch- switching topics a little bit, but uh, I don't know picking who you're flying with seems is such an important thing. Um, I don't know. I've always been impressed with your guys. Any of the pilots I've flown with, everyone's safe, and I mean you guys know what know what you're doing. I didn't even pick a spot to go to. I just <laughs> like I was telling you, I said, "Well, oh, you know the country better than I do," you know depending on what the weather's doing and, and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, you guys are a great resource for people if, if they want to, are looking to do something like that. Well, well, I appreciate that. We certainly do our best to, to run an operation that people want to fly with. Um, yeah, we do, you know, we know the island better than most people are going to just because it's our job to, um, and we're going to be able to see the weather that's coming and, um, we're, we're here all the time so we'll just be able to know what the conditions are like 
at that time. So I do often tell people to not not get too caught up on a on a certain location, yeah. especially this time of year when things are so variable. And uh, and we'll pick a location the day they come down here. Yeah. And the big thing Taj and I are into is you know we don't mind taking the time to talk to our hunters and get to know them and you know help them. Uh, you know, especially for guys that have never been to Kodiak. You know, I mean, even just the things about town. You know, where to stay, what's the best way to get to Kodiak. You know, letting them use our hangar to store gear while they're in the field. Letting them use our freezers afterwards. You know, for for some meat and stuff. And um, yeah, just taking the time to on the phone talk with our hunters that are going to be coming down and try to make it a good trip for them. Yeah, and that's a big deal too. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's just such a I don't know whether it gives them just peace of mind a little bit. You know, flown with some air services where it's like, all right, well, when do you want to fly? Where do you want to fly? All right, see you later when you get here jump in the airplane and type things so it's it's nice to have that personal touch because even just you know in alaska but from fairbanks it's it's like traveling somewhere totally different you fly in here you know luckily i know enough people down here i can usually find a vehicle to use and whatnot but you know you guys will will take people to their hotel or wherever they're staying and and kind of go go the extra mile i guess you could say to to accommodate people and that's kind of goes above and beyond just what they're hiring you to do but i've always thought that was really cool yeah it's a service industry so we you know try to provide the best service we can and uh, i've flown with with other guys and you know it it opens your eyes because you i mean you know when you're always on one side of the fence you only see one one side of it but when you go out and and are the customer you see hey you know this is this is nice i really appreciate that you know i appreciate the input and and knowing what to do when you get there and and where you're going and that that extra information goes a long ways yeah it does and uh where was i going with that again and taj and i both like to hunt too and i think all of our pilots that fly the float planes at least are all all our hunters themselves you know yeah so we we want our our clients to succeed even if it doesn't necessarily mean getting an animal, but succeed by just having a good trip and yeah. enjoying the experience. You know, that's important to us is that, uh, is that they have a good time, you know, and, and you probably get to get a little bit of scouting done for yourselves <laughs> by having these feel. Oh, I'll put, I, well, I most of our scoutings for our, our clients just to make sure we get them in a good spot. Cause we don't get enough time to go out. Well, but, that's what I've seen is yeah. putting clients, <laughs> getting the feedback from your clients. Yeah. Yeah, there are certain spots that we've dropped people in the past, and the clients say, and that was not a great spot, this, this, and this. And then, you know, there's some spots where we no longer drop people just because past clients have told us for whatever. We've just learned from having groups there that, yeah, maybe that isn't a great spot to go. Or um, And then we also spend a lot of time just seeing on what areas are maybe getting hit too hard or what areas, you know, haven't had a lot of pressure on them yet. And, yeah, and it and it seems like you guys also do a really good job about that. Not to just be like the whole island air pitch, but, you know, honestly, like, you know, some air services are more notorious for just like, they don't care, just dropping people after people in the same spot. And, uh, you know, to a degree, and like, like where we were at, you know, there was enough goats that, yeah, if no one's been in there in a week, like the hunting's still going to be just fine. But uh, I know, uh, you know, I know you guys don't, you know, really do your best to keep everybody spread out and and not because that you know every everybody comes up to Alaska expecting to get to put out get put out where they're not going to see a soul 
and sometimes that's just not how it works but uh kodiak is a little bit more crowded than other places but it's also more productive than yeah. other places we've got a, you know high game densities compared to other places in the state so you can't be too upset if you see another group just because it doesn't mean your hunt's not going to be bad but saying that you can't you can't mass produce good hunting you know no. we know that we're in this for the long haul so there's times i'll just you know say no i'm sorry i can't take you there you know it's it's i've got another group in there mm-hmm. um we don't like to put put camps on top of each other unless it's you know a really productive area and they they don't mind being there but generally we don't put put camps uh where there's another camp or a lot of times if somebody's even been there recently we won't we won't put a camp there that's why i like bright colored tents because you know a lot yeah. of times all right someone will say oh take me to lake 2014 you know and you go there if we see another tent there generally we'll go try to find a different spot you know um next if you got a camo tent hidden in the uh hidden in the alders and you might get another camp dropped on top of you you know i hate camo tents it's like just for finding them at night (laughs) you know or like putting little reflective if they don't have reflective tabs on them yep there's been several times i've stumbled around in the dark trying to find my tent but yeah, that's a good point. Um, and all the air taxis on Kodiak are really good. There's no, at this point, you know, on the island, there's no bad operators, you know, and, yeah. and even all the pilots from the different companies. I mean, to some level, most of us are friends and we'll even, I've called other companies. Hey, do you have anyone in this spot or so forth? Just to try to help out and keep and people coordinate. And, yeah. You know. yep, it helps us, helps us all to be, be on the same page and realize we're in the same business. Yeah, totally. And, uh, I don't know what reminded me of it, but I was going to ask you guys what are like what's probably the craziest thing you've seen flying down here. Reminded me of that video Eric showed us of uh, an elk in Carlick Lake. Yeah, so for people that aren't real familiar with Kodiak, and in the Kodiak archipelago, there's two islands north of the main part of Kodiak, a raspberry and a fognac, which have Roosevelt elk on them. Mm-hmm. And historically, there's been no elk on the main island of Kodiak. But last, uh, I think it was uh, late August, early September, I was flying along and saw something. I was actually doing a bear view and saw something on across the lake. And I, I sh- kind of pointed it out to the, the people on board. And I said, oh, that's kind of an odd-looking bear over there. You know, it's pretty light-colored. And kind of went and flew over it once. And I said, oh, that's kind of a weird-looking caribou, you know. And yeah. they're usually not in this area. And then we did another side. I'm like, holy crud, that's, a, that's an elk, you know. Yeah. So we took a video of it. And I ended up, you know, sending the video to the biologist and stuff. But... Yeah, was, never know what you're going to see out there. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I don't know. Was that about the craziest thing you've seen? I mean, you've seen some oh, I don't stuff. Know. I've you've seen been an, <laughs> some stuff that you probably wouldn't believe me if I told you, but um, but well, uh, let's hear some of it if <laughs> if we can. <laughs> but well, the funny thing about that one is the fall before I had some hunters down in that area at the head of Larson Bay tell me they'd saw an elk, and I only halfway believed them when apparently I should have fully believed them. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. You see, you're bound to see aberrations if you're out there long enough I've seen goats swimming in the salt water yeah i've seen the uh, goat country this place called camp island car look like i wasn't there to witness it but someone i was flying we i picked them up and they had a video of a bear chasing a goat down into the water and killing it that was pretty, wow that was pretty cool um but uh seen dead goat in avalanche slides you know afterwards you know yeah. that was kind of interesting from the air took me a while to figure out what it you know that it wasn't a live goat kind of laying there as the snow melted that was kind of interesting which kind of 
always makes me wonder how many goats or other animals do get wiped out by avalanches and yeah because i mean some of the some of that country like even where we at you could tell there'd been big you know in the past old rock slides and avalanches like almost down to the water you know it's super steep and some years can get a ton of snow up high a lot of snow and sometimes a lot of rain that causes landslides too yeah it'll just make yeah big old rock avalanches Oh, I'm trying to think more weird aberrations that you've seen. I've, I, one time I saw eight bears sitting together in an area the size of this room. Weird. Never seen anything like it. Don't know what they were doing. It wasn't bear, on the, on the salmon stream or I nothing? Guess. It was near a salmon stream, yeah. but they weren't all sitting there fishing. They were sitting in the middle of a field. Looked like they were having a convention. Man. And they split up into several groups, so I... You know, bears are usually solitary animals, but not always. Um, I almost hit a whale once. Oh, wow. Landed. <laughs> no, not landing. <laughs> no, just flying along after takeoff, you know, not, not too high off the ground. And the whale came up. It wasn't right in front of me, but it was over to the side. Yeah. You know, it came straight up out of the water. Oh, like geez. Yeah, most of my craziest stories aren't about the airplanes or what I see, but it's the people we're flying. Yeah. No, we'll you know, I uh, get into the... We get, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess we... You know, we get... We won't name in the names. hunting world, we get, you know, hunters from all over the world, you know, people from people that can barely afford the flight to billionaires, and you get you get a little bit of it all, you know, and um, so, yeah, I'd say a lot of times the, the people we, we move are the most interesting part of, of it, and some of the craziest stories all stem from that. But. Yeah. I'm wanting to at, to ask you, but I <laughs> don't want to. You know, bad for business people hearing their own stories if they ever actually listen to this. But uh, but yeah, no, I can I can definitely relate to that. I'll I, I'll just have to dig some more guidance stories out of Frank because he's probably <laughs> talking about some of the same people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what's uh, what's your favorite? What are your favorite planes to fly? Uh, I kind of got two answers to that. I mean, my all-time just classic airplane is just a beaver on floats. You know, it's, yeah. it's the workhorse. It's probably the best suited airplane for what we do here. It's it's the get-it-done airplane. Um, but uh, for just going out and playing for myself, probably a Cub on big bush wheels is the most fun for just, you know, on a beautiful day, it's flat calm. I'm just going to go bounce off beaches, gravel bars, maybe take my wife or my daughter with me and go have some fun. Then Then it's probably the Cub. Yeah, I'd agree with Eric that the Cub's the most fun to fly. Yeah. But the favorite one to fly is whatever ones you need to get the job done. Yeah. You know, my personal favorite is probably a Cessna 180 or 185 just because it's very versatile. I've done a lot of stuff all over the state and in those planes, and they kind of do everything okay. Yeah. Um, But, you know, down here, the Beaver rules for getting hunters out and, you know, for hauling people to the villages our Britain Norman Islander, which is a weird British built bush plane is awesome. And, you know, so is the Cessna caravan. They're both, you know, if I, I want to move 20 people in a day, I don't want to be flying a super cup. To do no. It. Yeah. And, uh, like what would kind of back on the, the hunting aspect, what would you like tell someone who's as far as, volume of gear to bring because i'm sure you guys have seen like the whole gamut of you know people bringing going super minimal everything to you know enough 
gear to last a guy a year. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy the the range there. You know, you'll get guys that'll show up for a 12, 14 day hunt with a 30 pound backpack and the rifle in their hand, you know, and then you'll get guys that, you know, they're already staying in the cabin, so they don't need a tent, you know, and they're bringing, you know, for two guys, they're bringing a thousand pounds of gear and that's not even overestimating an honest thousand wow. pounds of gear, you know, and I once hauled two beaver loads for two guys for, for a week long camping trip. Wow. I mean, I've seen guys bring chest freezers and, uh, um, a, uh, generator and generator, um, you know, guys bringing uh, TVs and DVD players to set up in their tents. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's uh, you know, a five-day hunting trip, but bringing you know two months worth of good food. You know, yeah. multiple coolers and stuff. So, so you really don't. I like to hunt light myself personally. It just keeps you a little bit unencumbered and it's easier to to move. But on the other hand, you know, if you want to have a comfortable camp, I mean, we get paid by the pound, so. Yeah, Bring as much as you want. Yeah, well, and that was I was thinking, and, and granted, when we came down here, I didn't know didn't know where we were going to end up going because that can change, obviously. But didn't know whether we were going to have going to be going hunting, you know, everything out of the backpack and then getting picked up somewhere else, or which is usually how you how you sheep hunt, just carrying your camp and everything with you, and hindsight i would have brought i would have brought some more a few more things i think we were both of us only had like 200 pounds of gear total which i thought was like going kind of pushing it for heavy if we had to move anywhere but it looked like we were fine i I was just gonna go if we had to land in a spot where we had to move just rip through the stuff and throw a bunch of stuff back on the airplane to send back but uh well what you bring is definitely dependent on your level of experience your level of comfort and expectations and then how much you know you want to pay for an airplane a bigger airplane a smaller airplane um but you know i mean we've got the beavers around here so don't pack too light it changes a lot depending on time of year and species and person but overall i'd say the best way to do it is to come prepared both with a decent base camp at least something you know a bomb shelter an arctic oven a decent tent that's going to stand up to the wind um a couple of amenities a heater if it's winter time you know some way to get yourself dried out and then a spike camp both for backup in case your big tent gets flattened by the wind and also so you've more versatile you can go you know hunt if if you were inclined to hunt that way at all but the big thing is bring quality equipment here. Yeah. Because the conditions can be pretty brutal. Yeah. I mean, I know, like, because I, I didn't bring my sheep hunting tent. I brought a, a four-season kind of mountaineering tent yeah. just that I know will stand up to the wind because that's, I know, that's one of the biggest factors and could get you into trouble in a hurry. Um, you know, if you get a big, you know, in the fall, get a huge rainstorm or something and you don't, whether it's exposed or you don't have your your tent down low i mean john was telling me about a couple years ago having one of their like really good tents they had they had every staking point and guy line staked down had it blown off the mountain and had to patch like two tent make one tent out of two tents yeah they had a good one just uh just about two weeks ago there was a, a guided outfit down pretty close to where you were and uh they ended up hiking a ways away from their their base camp got their animals we picked them up there and then on the way back the pilot stopped with them to pick up their stuff from their their main camp mm-hmm. and their 
their main tent had blown away, totally gone, never found it. it had a sat phone in it, had other gear in it. Oh, man. They never found it. So every year we get multiple tents that either get fully shredded or, like in that case, sometimes are never found, you know. So, yeah, a good shelter is probably number one on the list, is in my opinion. Yeah, and are th- is there any stuff, you know, you guys recommend, like, and see people needing to pick up, plan to pick up here in Kodiak? I know, we like, we bought just bought our, our camp stove gas in town because you can't fly on a commercial airline with compressed gas. Um, yeah, all the fuel you can need is here, and we usually keep a small stockpile of it just in case the stores run out, you know, whether it's, you know, white gas or the isobutane yeah. canisters or propane or whatever you, you choose to use. Um, Don't try to fly with those on the airlines. <laughs> that's the only thing that's critical, that and bear spray that you yeah. can bring down on the airlines, and you can pick both those things up in town. But a lot of people, you'll ship a bunch of stuff down here, but you don't realize there's we've got Walmart and Safeway and a good sporting goods store. You can go buy your food here as well. Yeah. You don't have to ship everything down. You know, if it's more convenient, fine. But um, you can come, you know, just with your basic equipment. You can get anything you need here in Kodiak. It's, you know, got all the amenities. Yeah. Do you guys see very many people's tents getting shredded by bears or, do you, you know, those bear fences are getting to be pretty popular, it seems like. I would almost say the wind does it more than the bears do. Yeah, um, much more. We don't see them getting shredded by bears a lot, but, I mean, occasionally, occasionally yeah. it happens. You know, if you more, cle- keep a good, clean camp. Yeah. Um, or having food and meat taken. Yeah. Yeah, that happens more often, you know, not keeping your your meat right inside your main tent you know it's a big big thing that doesn't always get followed which is usually what causes issues you know yeah because i mean um, you know they they have the everyone has in their mind what these what brown bears down here are like and the vast majority of them don't want anything to do with people you know like guy i'm sure you've seen it a lot where you where you see it watching a brown bear and he cuts where you walk the tracks that you walked in a day or two before and turns around and goes the other way yeah, they, they, for the majority of time, avoid people, but there's enough bears that don't, and it's not because they're out to get you, it's that they don't know any better, curious, hungry, yeah. you know, and they'll just, they'll, they'll come in and sniff around a lot of times, and if you've got, you know, something that they'll eat, they'll eat anything, so yeah. if you've got anything that's, that smells like food, it's an attractant. Uh, it's best to keep meat up in a tree if you can, or electric fence, like you said, is getting more and more popular, and those seem to help. They don't always keep the problem away, but they sure help. Yeah, any, yeah, like you said, pretty much. Yeah, the like, whole time I've lived here, and I think for even well before that period, there's never been any fatal bear issues, but it seems like every year there's at least uh, some sort of a small issue, you know, or someone gets nipped or something you know but uh but fatal incidents are are actually very rare yeah i mean the last one i heard about wasn't even i don't think it even killed the guy where he was deer hunter no i think it was in the spring but he walked by a a den that had a sow with cubs in it and that's what first thing that popped in my mind the other one the day we got dropped off and are up there poking around and bumped into that sow but she just took off it wasn't even wasn't even really an issue. Yeah, these last two falls have been a little bit more issues than normal. I think this last year there was a bad berry crop, so the bears were maybe a little hungrier. The year before that, there was a bad salmon run, so the bears were causing a little bit of issues. So, uh, you know, the DLP, a defensive life or property, because to a bear, 
I believe these last two falls have been quite a bit worse huh. um, than years prior. Um, and that's kind of what the biologists were blaming on was, you know, the berry crop one year and salmon the other. Yeah, but. that makes sense. They're trying to trying to pack the pounds on right at the end of the year. And if there's just not the food that they're, the easily accessible food that there normally is. And then they're going to, if they smelled, and, and most of those happen in town, you know, it's not necessarily hunters oh, or other yeah. people remote. You know, the majority of, on Kodiak Island of those incidents happen in town where the bears are coming to the town and getting into the garbages. And unfortunately, once they learn those habits, they usually don't stop, but... But yeah, that sort of instance makes it more dispersed around the island too. So hunters are more likely to bump into them. Uh, fishermen are more likely to bump into them on good salmon years, obviously. Yeah. Um, but we do have, it seems on average, I, I'm sure Fishing Game has statistics on it. I don't, just talking right now, but it seems like we get a mauling probably once every couple of years. Yeah. Maybe once every year, where somebody gets gets munched, because some years it's it's more than more than one. But like Eric said, fatal attacks are very uncommon. It's usually yeah. just a usually just a, a you know swat and a, you know a scare more than yeah. anything. And shoot, just, I think there's probably way more serious attacks right in Anchorage, probably. Probably, yeah. And we don't have moose here. You know, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. Since we don't, have, I'm more scared of moose sometimes oh, when I go yeah. other places than I am bears. But. I've been chased by moose a lot, by cow moose a lot more than I ever have. I've never really been chased by a bear, but I have been chased by moose several times. Get a get ones that get a bad attitude, but uh, yeah, well, uh, we're kind of hitting up on about an hour. You guys are busy guys, but uh, I really appreciate you guys sitting down and and answering some questions and uh, and more than anything flying us out there yeah we're happy to do it and uh you know we really appreciate uh our repeat customers like you guys and uh you know we kind of get to live live vicariously when we're stuck in the airplane all the time and yeah and we really enjoy seeing your guys pictures when you come back and uh all that sort of stuff so yeah and now uh island air you guys have an instagram account don't you if if you guys want to check them out instagram and facebook and uh i think the instagram what is it island air adq or yeah uh, <laughs> i don't know specifically but i know if you just do the search and you just type in like island air there are a couple different island airs around the world yeah uh, there's an island air express down southeast and some other ones other places one in hawaii i believe but uh yeah if you just type in island air we'll be the ones uh, doing cool Kodiak stuff or, yeah doing yeah. cool stuff okay here it is island oh one word island air underscore adq on instagram and they're always posting pictures that's how i saw you guys were on skis and up there skiing the other day they're always posting cool pictures of what they're doing but uh yeah so check them out and definitely if you guys if if you're thinking about planning a trip to kodiak or whatever give these guys a call and they're more than willing to help you out but yeah guys and if you have any questions for me or feedback on the podcast send it to uh podcast at tundratalkak.com and uh thanks for listening thanks for joining me guys yeah Yeah, thank you visiting with you